Chris gonna show you a thing or two. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. Oro Recovery is in beautiful, sunny Southern California, created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment center that helps people by means of compassion and connection rather than control. Their team has decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. Our friend, John Sugar Bear Bukati, went out there and did an event, and he said it was like heaven on earth, vistas and massages. And, you know, the way he described it, I can't believe I've been advertising this treatment center for so long and not realizing how beautiful it is. And not only is it beautiful, it helps people get well. They have amenities like, you know, surfing, equine therapy, sound bath meditation, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, and they have amazing therapy, and everyone we know that has been there loved it. So if you're looking for an incredibly beautiful and spiritually connected treatment experience, check out Oro Recovery. Check them out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. I imagine a large percentage of us have tried to get sober in the new year and failed. Not because we wanted to, but because we had nothing keeping us accountable. After all, who would really know if we drank? Soberlink is the only high-tech breathalyzer system that keeps you honest, especially when cravings get a little too loud. I love it for so many reasons. Here's a few reasons why I love it. You test at the same time every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so it knows it's you testing. Tamper sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so you can't get away with anything. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping to rebuild trust and prevent relapse. Let 2024 be the year you finally make the change. Check out Soberlink.com dopey and you get 50 bucks off your first device. And 50 bucks off your first device is nothing to sneeze at. www.soberlink.com dopey. Now, before we get into this week's episode of Dopey, I want to tell you guys about another podcast called Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, the latest in research, book reviews, TV reviews, you hang out with Nat and Mike and you have a good time. You check them out where all your podcasts are for Recovery in the Middle Ages or recoveryinthemiddleages.com. Hello, 
welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and, you know, I love putting the show together, but this week I got sick, and now I don't love putting the show together when I'm sick. I hear my my voice doesn't sound so great. I hear, I just hear it in my head. It's fucking annoying. And I've been running around like just crazy. We went to Florida last week. We went to Disney World. And I think I got recognized in my life maybe twice for Dopey in the, in the eight years that I've done it. And in Disney World, I got recognized twice. Right right there, like me and my family were going to, uh, we were going to dinner at the Disney Wilderness Lodge, which is very beautiful. And I was talking to my daughter, Nora, and I was saying to Nora how I bet in the time that we're in Disney World, we will see somebody that we know, that we'll run into somebody that we know. Or maybe I asked her, do you think we'll run into anybody that we know? And maybe the next second, this dude, his name was Bob, he said, Dave from Dopey? Or maybe he just said Dopey, or he said Dave, or I don't know. And it turned out he was a, a longtime Dopey fan, and he was bringing his kids to dinner at the, the Wilderness Lodge. And at the dinner, they had, they had the kids meet Snow White and the Wicked Queen and Grumpy the Dwarf and Dopey the Dwarf. So that was cool, and I took a picture with the dwarf, and I think I took a picture with Bob, and we went about our, our day, and I felt very, very good about myself. And uh, another day we were down there, we were at the Animal Kingdom, I don't know, park, Disney Animal Kingdom Park, and this other dude came up and recognized me. and He was so excited to meet me, and it was like, it was very cool, because that doesn't happen very often, and it was, it was very impressive to my family. So I, I enjoyed that a lot. So if you ever run into me, if you ever see me out there, come say hello, because it would be very cool. And then there was a third person who, I mean, this whole thing, what kind of show is this that I'm just talking about getting recognized in Disney World? And why are there so many drug addicts in Disney World? It's fucking crazy. Any theories on why there are so many drug addicts in Disney World, send them to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I also want to say that we went to Disney World seven years ago when Nora was in kindergarten and Chris and I had just started been doing dopey for like a year and I was still smoking cigarettes and I it's crazy like Disney World is a crazy fucking place I like it I like all the bullshit I like all the music and the movies and the characters and it's very top-notch the rides and the amenities and all that shit but the people are fucking crazy and it just reminds me of how much I love, I like addicts and alcoholics and all that because it just, there seems to be like a dead-eyed disconnect in the world of normal people. Anyway, I got this note. He wrote, hey Dave, wanted to send a quick hello as I saw you yesterday at Magic Kingdom. I thought it was you and you walked by me and I saw at the bottom of your stroller in bright neon orange where it said Mannheim family because we rented, <laughs> we rented a stroller. I wanted to say hi, but you, along with thousands of others with kids, including myself, booked it away into the park. I am a big fan and have been for years. I love how the podcast has a raunchy story side and not a typical recovery podcast. I drive a lot for work, so every episode is fulfilled into my weekly commute. 
I got clean in 2011 and put together 10 years. The COVID disaster sent my mind back out, and I eventually found it and out myself on a nasty 18-month run. I'm back up to 14 months and living and loving my life again with my wonderful wife and two perfect daughters who I am currently enjoying our first family vacation with. Anyway, thanks for all you do. I wish I could have said hello. Enjoy your trip and toodles for Chris. And I just think it's like, dude, it's fucking amazing. And and I had friends who were like, you go to Disney World. And if you have children and, and they like Disney shit and you can bring them to Disney World, you should do it. And as somebody who could never afford fucking anything, the fact that I could take my family to Disney World was just like, it's an incredible... You know, I hate to say this, but it's an incredible gift of recovery. Such a corny fucking phrase. But it blew me away that I was taking care of this. I never thought I would be able to do that. It also looks like I'm going to go back to Florida in March to record the Hell Has an Exit podcast. The Hell Has an Exit podcast is a new dopey sponsor Teddy interviews recovering addicts, people who have spent decades in prison for wrongful convictions. Next week, Teddy sits down with Chappie, a.k.a. Peter Mayerhoff, who spent 12 years in prison, a crazy meth addict, and multiple overdoses with the comeback of the century. Check out the Hell Has an Exit podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can find videos on YouTube. You can find everything at hellhasanexitpod.com. I just saw a clip with Chappie talking shit about uh, Wes Watson, and it's great. So check out hellhasanexitpod.com. So we have a ton of stuff to get to. I know I've been saying this the past few weeks, but I think soon we're going to do a second show a week because we get so much stuff from from Dopey Nation, and I want to have a place to play it. And I don't know. I've been listening to this horrible podcast called Nick's Film School, and I listen to it. I listen to hours and hours of it, and the host often gets drunk, and it's not the best podcast, but I, I enjoy listening to them talk about the Knicks. The Knicks just had the biggest month they've had in 30 years, and uh, I'm just so in. You know that I'm a freak for the Knicks. So I was I've been I always look for the next next Nick's Film School podcast and I was thinking maybe we should be doing extra dopey podcasts with stuff from listeners. And I got a note from a guy named Josh who just celebrated 6 months and he wanted a shout out so we're going to shout out Josh. Skinny Vinny got 6 years. Let's hear it for him. And Dopey Nation stalwart Andy Len just celebrated a month. So let's hear it for these guys. And if you want your anniversary to be mentioned on the show, send in a note to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I also got, do you guys remember that crazy Australian guy who was sending in these messages? I told him to send in a voice memo, and, and he sent in like, I don't know, 15, 12 minutes of voice memos that I can't get myself to listen to. It's Damien. I'm going to play a couple of them right now. This is Damien. But before we play Damien's insane Australian psychedelic adventure, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Mountainside 
Recovery. If you know about Dopey at all, you know that Chris and I met at Mountainside. We went there in 2011, uh, both of us to get off of IV heroin, Chris getting off IV coke. Mountainside was an incredible place to go. There were, I mean, just to meet somebody like Chris in a place like that just shows the ability to make friends in that place and the ability to connect in that place. Mountainside offers a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term residential, outpatient, and recovery coaching programs. So whatever program a person needs, they have it. They also recently started two programs specifically designed to help families heal too. Also, another thing that's so cool about Mountainside is their range of holistic wellness activities. You heard Tuan last week, and, and they do so many cool things. Yoga, acupuncture, sound bath, sweat lodge, qigong, qigong, whatever. I did all of that there. It was an incredible experience. If you want to check out Mountainside, go to mountainside.com slash dopey. They set up a little dopey site. You could see uh, a little bit about me and Chris at Mountainside. They also have a phone number, one 833 4922 Call them if you're feeling fucked and you want to stay in the Northeast. Check out mountainside.com slash dopey. And now here is Damien's insane Datura experience. And I'm playing this in excerpts because he sent 15 minutes of clips. So this is a little chunk of Damien. I just want to be clear before I play these Damien clips. I think he might be wasted. He doesn't make that much sense. Or maybe I just don't understand Australian talk. But this is Damien from Australia and if you are Australian, please send in a note and help translate. Dude, I'm telling you about the methamphetamines, but honestly, my pure dopey story comes from fucking hallucinogenics, dude. And that's when I took Daytura. And so it all starts at a guy we used to score weed from at Alex Hills. And I've opened up the local paper, Bayshore Bulletin, and it said, Kid goes to hospital from drinking too much fucking Daytura and anyway, one of the guys there that was having cones with this has piped up and gone, fuck, I was with that guy. He's the fucking one who took the fucking flowers off the tree and drank them and then got all fucked up. And I've looked at my mate and gone, well, at least it's a free trip to hospital. Let's do it, bro. So we grabbed this cunt and forced him to show us where the fucking tree was. So after he led us to this local street a couple of corners away, he's gone, that's the house right there. Now there are two fucking 80 year old people in there doing gardening. This fucking garden is immaculate, but there's a brick wall at the front of the fucking house. So. We just piss bolted straight towards them and they looked up at us and seen us coming and they didn't know what the fuck to think. But anyway, we fucking jumped the brick fence, got to the Daytura tree, which is an angel's trumpet tree, and started pulling fucking flowers off this fucking thing. And she, the grandma in the yard, started spraying with this hose and started saying, Don't fucking touch that tree, it's fucking poisonous, it'll fuck you up. And we just kept laughing and pulling flowers off and fucking ran out of their front yard back to old mate's house. 
So we got to old mate's house and we've dumped like 15 bell fucking shaped flowers into a saucepan and I've sat there with a potato masher and I've mashed these fucking things, man. I'm making sure that we've gotten all the fucking juice out of it. And it's boiled up and we've put fucking two glasses worth. Now, the guy I was with that I stole them with, he's fucking backed out and fucked right off. I don't know where he was. He disappeared. I just ended up with a neighbor in this kitchen and he's going like, yeah, fuck it. I'll take some. So I fucking drank the full glass. He's got halfway through his and then fucking decided not to have any more. So I'm like, fuck you wasting your shit, bro. I'm fucking drinking yours too, man. And I fucking drank his as well as mine. So one and a half glasses. Probably about 12 flowers worth. And holy fuck. I've got to explain to you something about tripping on Daytura. So... You don't see like cartoon shapes, it's not like mushrooms, it's not like, you know what I mean, it's, it's fucking enjoyable. It's like you're talking to a real person and they're that fucking real that you don't want to reach out and touch them and say, are you real or am I just fucking tripping out, man? And yeah, I fucking, it's, it's like on Daytura every time... You come into contact with someone who's not on Daytura or totally sober, you snap out of it. And every time I snap out of it, I give my real name, my real date of birth, my real address, my real phone number, real, real fucking everything, man. And that still affects me to this day. I swear to God. So, giving that shit out, like, dude, there were moments I was tripping for three fucking days, dude, I did not come down, I was like, I remember taking it on a Friday afternoon and then the guys at the house said like, dude, you were just sitting at a circle table, having a conversation with three people that weren't fucking there, you handed out cigarettes to them, you lit their cigarettes and I remember the conversation. I was fucking lighting their cigarettes and they were smoking them and we were having a full fucking conversation but everyone else at the house said, nah, dude, those cigarettes just fell on the table. They rolled off on the ground. We were going and picking them up and smoking them. You were lighting thin air, cunt. Like, seriously? Fucking thin air. So I think that's about all I'm going to play of Damien's Daytura trip. Have any of you guys ever done Daytura? I've never even heard of it. I should look it up. Is it an Australian thing? Let me know. Write in an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And do you want to hear the rest of Damien's story? Let me know that as well. The fucking worst thing ever. Well, it's certainly not the worst thing ever. But something really fucking weird happened to me yesterday. I get up early, early to take Nora to her wind ensemble class. And I, what I always do is I leave the house, like warm up the car, sit there. If I'm not listening to that Nick's podcast, I listen to this playlist I, I made on Spotify. It's this, it's like a 150 hour long playlist that I call dead flowers. And I've been making it. I don't know, since I got Spotify, like 11 years ago, it might be longer than 150 hours. And I hit play on the playlist and none of my songs are there instead it's been hacked by some fucking i don't even know 
who would do such a thing, some Spotify hacker, and he's replaced my, or he or she has replaced my entire playlist with uh, meditations, thousands of, of, of meditations, you know, like hours, 100, 150 hours of meditation, and my Spotify playlist is gone. And it was, uh, the hacker was called For You. So I want, does this ever happen? Have you ever heard of that happening to you? I'm so upset. I'm rebuilding my playlist, but it's fucking bullshit, man. I'm enjoying rebuilding the playlist, though. It's a very relaxing thing to build a playlist. I've always enjoyed playlist building. I also was thinking about all the Australian dopes through the years. Of course, the famous Australian dopes like Dave Mascalani and Gabby. Haven't heard from Gabby in a long time. And then I remember back in the day with Chris, we read the the email from Maurice who like dumps his friend off in a phone booth and thinks he's dead. I just love Australian dopes. So I want to I want to give a big shout out to all the dopes in Down Under. Do you say in Down Under? Does that make sense? I'm going to read a note from this guy Matt from Perth. But before I read the note from Matt, I want to just say how excited we are to have Diamond Recovery Group on board as our sponsor. These amazing folks kicked off last year on a mission to help as many friends as possible who are dealing with addiction. They've got three incredible residential treatment centers up and running already. And check this out. They've set up a 24-hour hotline. So if you or someone you know needs a friendly ear, they've got your back. Huge shout-out to Diamond Recovery Group for being real-life heroes in the addiction support game. The number is 844-909-2525. Call them. Let them help you. It's 844-909-2525. Here is Matt from Perth. It says, hey, Dave, Matt from Perth, Western Australia here. Feel free to read this email on the pod if you want, and it's fine if you use my first name. Been listening to Dopey since around episode 30 or so. Came out back when I was living in Melbourne and been meaning to email in. I used to drive around while working as an electrician, listening to Dopey in the company car, smoking meth, taking tons of benzos and doing electrical work at 7-Eleven. Crashed and totaled three different work vehicles within a few years, always due to falling asleep at the wheel from taking too many benzos. I was never not on a combination of meth and benzos. I would be on 24-hour call-out for a week and wouldn't sleep for that entire week so I didn't have to go through the pain of waking up to a phone call. I would be hallucinating that witches were flying around from the lights at night while driving to a job. Somehow I didn't get fired or die in a car crash, and my boss never confronted me about being high at work. Eventually I quit my job. Anyway, as I was making more money selling meth, I started smoking meth and using MDMA, LSD, or anything I could get my hands on at 16. I was just like Chris, fascinated by the different experiences to be had and got heavily into researching drugs on Arrowhead or Blue Light and ordering every possible substance from Silk Road, etc. When I was an apprentice, I would smoke meth with my bosses after work on Fridays and at work parties. Eventually, I moved back to Perth after breaking my neck in a car accident in Melbourne, again from nodding off on benzos after being awake for a few days. Even with a neck brace on for three months, I didn't stop using meth, heroin, and benzos. 
overdosing on heroin with the neck brace on, and waking up in the intensive care unit with a tube down my throat breathing for me didn't stop me. Fast forward and I wind up in jail for six weeks on remand for numerous charges, which I will share about another time. After this, I spent one month in a psych ward and then six months in rehab. This was the wake-up call I needed, and I've now been abstinent from drugs and alcohol for four years on January 26th. I now work in a co-occurring mental health and alcohol and recovery program. This is just a brief summary of my time using, and I have a bunch of stories I can email you when I get some more time. Just wanted to get the ball rolling and reach out. I didn't listen to Dopey for a couple of years when my using was at its worst, and I, and when I was in early recovery when I started listening and found out Chris had died, I couldn't believe it. It's so fucking sad. I listen to every episode as soon as they come out, and it truly helps me feel connected to the community. These days, my recovery revolves around meditation, fitness, mountain biking, family, and friends, working in the mental health field, and my partner. I tried NA out when I was fresh from rehab, and it wasn't right for me. I think the meeting scene is maybe different in Australia, but I've always struggled with the higher power stuff. I'm not sure if this email makes much sense, but I just finished work and can't be bothered reading over it too much. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And that is Matt from Perth, and I appreciate the note. It really interests me, I don't know, the how much the higher power thing upsets people trying to get sober. Like I have a friend who I used to work with and he's relapsing all over the place and he cannot, he cannot stay sober. And he says he goes to meetings, but he hates the higher power thing. And and Matt just talked about his issue with the higher power thing. And I just want to say like, I, I, I don't know, like to be actually spiritual seems like a great thing to be. seems like a stretch but the universe is a really, really, really big place. And if you can't, I mean, like, I'm not so big on God, on the idea of, a, of an, you know, an omnipotent deity, but I am big on the universe being bigger than me, than the ocean being bigger than me, that the world being bigger than me, that love is bigger than me. And I just think willingness is the, is the greatest piece in getting sober. Like, I think willingness and open-mindedness. So that's my big fucking spiel. If you are will, I think, I feel like willingness is the secret sauce. Like if I'm willing to say I'm an alcoholic, even though I probably wasn't, or if I'm willing to pray to a, a higher power that I don't necessarily understand, I feel like it unlocks some magical shit. And I suggest that people try it because in the end, right? I was fucked and now I'm much less fucked and it's because I, I was willing to try that stuff. But you know how I feel about this. I want Dopey to be the greatest podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I feel comfortable that we are. But it's amazing all this anti-higher power stuff, which is not a big deal unless it prevents people from getting sober. But it sounds like Matt, Matt's absent in four years, so that's pretty fucking good. So today we have uh, this comedian, Aaron Berg, who was at DopeyCon IV. He came to my dad's house, and he laid some shit down. This is a crazy talk we did. But before I play Aaron Berg, I just want to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Discover Recovery. 
I'm enjoying having all these different treatment options as ads for the show because where are you from in the country? Do you have a problem? Do you need to get help? Discover Recovery is possibly the greatest recovery treatment center in the Pacific Northwest. They have two locations for detox and residential treatment in Washington State. They have an incredible medical staff. They strive to provide the best treatment possible in a region that has historically been underserved because we know how many junkies are in Portland and Seattle and all that shit. The place is beautiful, luxury accommodations. It was created by our friend Chris Paulson, and they operate with integrity and I believe that Discover Recovery is a great place to go to get sober. For more information, check them out at discoverrecovery.com. And now, here is Aaron Berg. We're at the massive, sober, fucking artist, Aaron Berg. The lighting in here is that my arm has never looked this big in my entire... I just want to... You want to do a little thing, a little flex? I just want to put it right there. Look at that. I mean, what is that, a chai on the, that's on the a inside? Chai. yeah. You know they don't let you in the Jewish cemetery with the thing. You know they just chop your arms off and still bury you. That's the deal? Yeah, they just want to <laughs> negotiate really hard. That's funny. It's like it's like the, the Orthodox people, like they, they put the chalk around that thing so they can turn on the lights and they chop off your arms if you have a tattoo. Why are there tunnels under the city? I don't know. It's a... It's a, it's a crazy crazy deranged world i have no idea where this tunnels they just need they don't want to go out in the cold come on you're saying it's <laughs> like a wanna, mall yeah it's it's, it's like a, it's like college in, it's a college in winnipeg manitoba they have a mall and they have all these tunnels underneath with the stores and stuff because it's so cold in winnipeg but i don't th- i don't well, what's, picture what's orthodox your, what's your theory i think that they're just there for safety i'd like to here's what i came up with in the hot tub last night Hold on, and, you have a hot tub at home? Yeah. Is it indoor or outdoor? Outdoor. How's that? You keep it hot all, all winter? Yeah, it's Kevlar. You this like is, it? Yeah, I love it. How much does it cost? About $6,000. Is it, you're happy with the purchase? Very happy with the when purchase. When did you buy it? A year ago. Wow. Prior to that, I would go with inflatable hot tubs, which are $330 on Amazon. And they're great, but they last a year. And then when the winter comes, the the motor won't take the cold, so it always breaks down. How quickly did you take the plunge to buy the hot tub? After three years of considering it, I, d- I don't jump in too fast. Tell Let's me see. everything about hot tub ownership, because I'm, I'm on the threshold. Okay. You don't have to maintain it a lot. You just need a couple chemicals. You throw them in once a week. You got to clean the, the sifty thing. I don't know what it's do called. You do you do it, or does your wife I do it? I do it. Nice. My wife does not. My wife does toilets and mops, and for that, believe she should be heralded as probably the greatest wife in the world. Well, my wife would have to do the hot tub. She doesn't do the toilet or the mop, but she knows that I would not be able to handle it. The hot tub's very easy. Tell me more. You put a spoon of chlorine in and a spoon of pH riser in, and that's it. And then you get in. How I'm often? in it five nights a week. Five nights a week. I, I love it. I do I do it. My writing in there. I'll watch a hockey game on my phone in there. It's paradise. You write on the phone or you write pen and paper? I'll write on the phone. In the hot tub? In the hot tub. Five nights a week. Yeah. It's amazing. It's great. You're my new hero. No, come on. For sitting in a hot tub? Dude, for buying a hot tub. You should do it. I want to do it. You could get one for cheaper. You could go to Best Buy or not Best Buy, Costco. But they have the inflatable at Costco. Get the inflatable. No, 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 because we can't handle it. Where are you going to put it? On the deck. 
Which deck? Here? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put on my dad's fucking deck. You have like a real deck. No, I live on Long Island. Oh, yeah, do it. We should do it. Spent, you can go cheaper than six. I got mine made of Kevlar. It's bulletproof in case people come for Just you. Just in case. But you were saying I was the most liked and simultaneously the most hated. Because yes. I'm very polarizing. That's why I have a Kevlar hot tub. Indeed. Yeah. You have, you, and anybody who doesn't remember Aaron Berg, some of the greatest moments of DopeyCon IV were you dealing with my dad. And and you didn't deal with him directly, just him absorbing the vagina and the Coke and the Coke on black cock. Mm -hmm. And it was just a wonderful experience for me. So I want to thank you for doing that. I thought you were disappointed in my performance. How? Because I looked over at you and you had a lot on your plate that day. DopeyCon is a big undertaking for anybody let alone for you, to organize from the top to the bottom. And I saw you, and I don't even know if you were enjoying it or not, and then you're just like, okay, let's get on to the next thing. And you also brought me up after five minutes of... Sound bowl meditation. Wow. That was the best. That was the pool to the hot tub. It took all my edge away, all my <laughs> anger, and everything that I usually go on stage yeah. with was gone because I was just so in the moment. It's a really beautiful thing. And because of that, I've started meditating again. Because of that? Because of that. So DopeyCon had... When you said you were excited to come do this, you actually meant it. Yeah. Why? There's something about you where you're like this enigma where it's like nobody should – on paper, nobody should like you. you you're not – you know what I mean? Yeah. You're a very jovial guy, but yeah. when you look at your resume of yeah. life, yes. other than you know overcoming a huge thing, nobody should like you. You work in a deli. Yeah. You're kind of schlubby. Yes. Nobody should like you. That's fair. But there's something about you that I think brings out the best in other people, and I don't know how exactly that is. And But there's like something inspirational and aspirational about you at the same time. Did you say Asperger's or aspirational? Aspirational. That's you not... You can't. You're too old to have Asperger's. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for, for commenting on my schlubbiness it, and my elderliness. Yeah, but the way I did it was very charming. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you're here, and I, it was like you were always in my the back of my head, and I don't know how it. I think I was watching Instagram, yeah. and I saw you doing something, and I was like, why didn't I get Aaron Berg on the show? Yeah, and then you're like, I can come tomorrow, and yeah. I was like, fantastic. Yeah, and I don't know what your hours are, but it was weird because you texted me at seven a.m. I know and no people one don't, people don't like that, but I'm I'm up. I wake up at seven. So it's cool that that, and then it's early enough in the day that it's the first thing I deal with. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that because my anxiety doesn't take over about like, I have so much to do today. Oh, I got to push that. I don't want to go into the city, blah, blah, blah. And now it's fun. This is great. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, you were just talking about some stripper business, art, movies. You're writing a movie about your stripper yeah, career. Yeah, I wrote a movie about it, about how I was a stripper. And I'm t talking about how I want to unplug from everything i want to unplug i'm shadow banned on instagram so is that even a thing though? yeah none of my stuff can go viral only my followers can see my stuff which is which sounds cultish in itself but so nothing can blow up because i put up a picture of osama bin laden the day after there was a bombing at the peace bridge at niagara falls and i go they found the guy that did it which is a joke <laughs> you get the joke he's dead yeah allegedly but uh so they, because of that, they flag my account. And they're like, this is promoting terror. Do you know that? 
Yeah, they said they send you why they did it. Like there's a little thing, and it's like here's why they did it. It's on my phone. I mean, they I seem to send me fucking shit every day that says you are putting out stuff we don't like, and but I feel like it's all like to 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 hack my account or something. Yeah, you shouldn't respond to anything that they do. There's some dude who just reached out to me that said he could give me 200 times my downloads. Yeah, that's... Uh, his that's name is Muhammad scary. Ali, actually. I swear to God, his name is Muhammad Ali. He was a great boxer. I, know. I, I said, what's your track record like? He said, I have one client. He's really happy with my work. Yeah. When is the first time you got high? I want to get to your stripper career. I want to hear the story of Aaron Burke, Okay. Even though bantering uh, is fun. First time I got high, probably... 15 years old, 14 or 15 years old. I was thinking about, I did hash. I smoked hash. Nice. Bottle I tokes. It. I loved hash. Bottle tokes. So bottle tokes is what? You you would take a glass bottle, you put a stone in there, you'd hit the stone through until a little hole went where the stone was. Then you'd take a cigarette, you'd score the hash. Hold on. The, this start is, with the glass this bottle. This is a very Canadian yeah. thing. You get like a Yoohoo bottle or something. You're Canadian? Yeah. From Manitoba? No, from Toronto. Okay. I'm American now. Good for you. I'm dual. I'm dual, but I'd never travel with my Canadian passport because they'll try and take it from you at the border. Why? Because they're like, do you have your Canadian passport? If you say yes, they'll go, let me see. And they'll go, okay, you don't need this anymore. They'll take it. It's theft. It makes much more sense to me now why you're happy to be here because you're Canadian. Why? I, I didn't know you were Canadian, but yeah. Canadians are just nicer people and they're happier to be places than... I thought you were just some guy from New Jersey. No, I've become very New Jersey. You've become Pick some guy Pickup truck, New guns. I got, I got the High whole thing. On the High on the bicep. Um, we, this is what you would do. You'd buy hash. Scott Sanderson had it. That was his name. Don't know if he's still around. I always say everybody's full name. I'm not doxing them. It's just what it is. Shout out to Scott. Really attractive man. Dated this girl. They were both the most gorgeous couple. He came from a divorced family, so his dad didn't give a shit about him. Dad lived in a nice condo, so he had all this money. He'd always buy drugs. And uh, you'd buy the hash. You'd take a little piece. You'd break it off. You'd put it on a safety pin. You'd score it with a lighter to make it softer. Break it up into little pieces like that. We would do that with a jar. Okay. We'd have a jar, and then the jar would have a cork top, and we'd put a pin in that, put the hash on that, burn it, put it in the jar. Jar fills up with smoke. Drink the jar. Sounds like a good idea. We did way worse. You would take a cigarette, smoke a bit of a cigarette, and then you'd uh, we'd sing the song, Time to Brew a Bot. Time to brew a bot. It was like Jimi Hendrix. Time to, a bot, a bottle toke. So the bottle you'd take, you'd... So hold on, they'd play... Purple we just haze sing it. And you'd sing we just sing it. Time to brew a bot. It was purple haze. The the stone would be in the bottle. You'd smash it till there was a hole. Then you'd take your cigarette, tap the piece of hash, and then for some reason, I don't know why, you'd put it in, cover it with your hand. The cigarette's in these fingers right here. And it's in there, and then it fills up with smoke. Cigarette smoke, too, which you're not thinking back then you didn't know. Pregnant women were smoking in doctor's offices. I'm with you. Then you open it. <laughs> you cough like crazy. And you pass it around. Then you get high. We got high. We went and rode the subway to go to Scott's place and hang out there because we're high after Toronto school. subway? Yeah, Toronto subway. Back then, easy peasy. One of the safest subway. Could smoke on the subway back then. Went to his place, got high. And then I was like, okay, I got to go home. So I rode the subway home. And I, I hallucinated that they were saying there's an emergency on the subway, everybody has to get off. And I was like, 
what's going on? And that never happened. And then I just got off at my stop and I went home. And I remember my parents seeing me high sometimes. It was weed, hash, and I just wouldn't look at them. So they'd be like, why were you on late? Was. If you don't look at them, then they can't see yeah. that you're high. Are you look at us? I'm looking at you. <laughs> what? And it was that. And then I didn't, drugs weren't really bad for me. Like I would dabble. I tried Coke a few times, but it was like, you know, you could count it on one hand. And it was, that was a comedy related thing. It Coke. wasn't, yes. When did you get into comedy? After stripping. So I was a bad kid in high school. I got shifted. I went to like six high schools. But not a lot of drugs. What were you doing that was bad? Weed, hash, skipping classes, trying to have sex. Doesn't sound that bad. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in high school, yeah. I think. And then uh, then I got shipped away to boarding school. I got arrested. I was breaking into cars. I was hanging out. It wasn't for drug money. I was just hanging out with... Trying to look cool for your friends. That's it. Yes. And, I, and I was at uh, a private school... But there was another bad kid there, so we'd hang out with like these Jamaican gang members and stuff. So that, that's where that started. And we're breaking into cars one night and stealing checks or change or whatever's in the debt. And then we ran, and some guy leans out his window, get away from my car. We're like, fuck you, buddy. And we ran down the street, yeah, loser. And we went to a McDonald's to hide. And then all of a sudden these cops show up and uh, they come in, they're like, you're not with them, are you? Because I was the only white guy. And I go, so what, you were robbing, you were breaking into cars with the Jamaican gang? Yeah. Nice. How did you meet them? Uh, Scarborough, which is an area in Toronto. One guy that went to my school, Jason, hung out with, he was from a poor neighborhood. So I was, I was fascinated by it because I was middle class. So this, the notion of the projects and people shooting each other and stabbing, I'd watch full-on fist fights and... And people walk up, be like, we have me money. And you're like, oh, this is a phenomenal. Yes. And I could fight. I was like, I was into martial arts at the time. So they liked the fact that I could fight. And I was this little tiny guy. And I'm running around saying, talking in Jamaican and nice. stuff. And they loved it. And then I was fascinated by it. And I remember my parents kicked me out. Of the, they're like, we're done. We're not going to deal with you. They left two garbage bags out front. On the, it sounds like I'm a much harsher addict than I am. And I took the garbage bag, and I stayed in the but projects they put all for your two shit weeks. In clothes, yeah, like, you're out, Aaron. Yeah, nice Jewish home too. Yeah, and you left to go live with the Jamaican gangs in the projects. Yeah, in the projects. And like, how was in that? a basement, cold basement, and it was fine for two weeks. And then I remember I just called my mom. I'm like, "Can I come home?" And they picked me up, and I was so tired. And I slept, I think, for two or three days, which is what a, a drug addict would do. So they thought you were that, really bad. So you they made me help. pee in a thing and they drug tested me. This is back when, you know, you couldn't just go to CVS and buy a drug test to see if your kid's snorting fentanyl. And um, and I peed and I had no drugs in my system. And then it was like, I think they're like, okay, you're okay. And then I got arrested. And then it was, you're either going to uh, boarding school or, or like army prep school. So I went to boarding school. And that turned my life around. I was still bad. I got suspended like three or four times, drinking, smoking cigarettes. But I was able to find this one teacher that taught like a writer's craft class. Mr. Cole was his name. And he just taught me about the sense of rebellion in the arts. And I started the school paper called uh, The Rambler. And we would just make fun like, the headmaster's a loser. <laughs> They're selling slaves here. And it was, and this 
newspaper took off and it was exactly you started the rambler yeah nice and it and it was this thing where some people didn't want to be associated with it and some people were like we love it you got to keep doing what you're doing were you like stoner rambler guy or just writer rambler? no writer rambler guy and it was uh, that i mean that changed my life then i got into college i went to a college uh, uh which was interesting because i went to this very christian town there was no jews so that's where i actually denied my Judaism ones, where people are like, Berg, is that Jewish? I'm like, no. You felt shame. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I live out in, in Suffolk County, and I get my hair cut in some weird barbershop there, and my barber confided in me that he was Jewish, but I didn't think it was a secret. He cuts my hair, and I made some joke about Jews, and he said, nobody knows that I'm Jewish here. And I started laughing my yeah. ass off because I'd never met anybody who, who felt shame for being Jewish. So what was it like to be a only Jew in a Canadian Christian uh, town? It was weird. And I didn't admit it for, yeah, I think it took like a year So you were or the two. only one. Yeah, there Did you no tell other... the Jamaicans? There was no Jamaicans in that town. <laughs> no, I it mean was the first town. Where... Yeah, they knew I was Jewish. They probably liked that. Oh, black people love to make fun of Jewish yeah, people. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a, we really have something in common, black people and Jewish people. 100%. Unti until now. But, you know, like now there's a, but like BLM, Jewish people were behind it wholeheartedly. And now it's just like the the whole stuff in the, I don't know if you heard this stuff in the Middle East, but the, the, it's very uh, divided. Yes, it's a rough time. Yeah. It's a rough time for blacks and Jews together. Yeah. So tell me more. I want to know everything that happened to you. So I go to uh, college. I fall in love with this girl named Melissa. She lives in Long Island now. She was from Canada, a small town called Moncton, New Brunswick. Fell in love with her. Thought she was the love of my life. Gorgeous, green eyes, really smart girl. Dated for a year and a half, two years. We break up. Nothing bad happens. We just start to grow apart. And at one point, I'd moved to her town in the summer, took a uh, job at a meat packing plant. Worked there for a day couldn't take it covered in blood and ice i'm like i can't do this anymore this isn't for me my mom used to have a sign up in my room that says i'm too good looking for manual labor which is a how you felt which is a horrible thing to <laughs> convince well, your kid of it's a, it's it's good to instill some kind of pride all right so after we break up i go i gotta show her i gotta show her she's got to regret breaking up with me so i start bodybuilding because her boyfriend before me was a bodybuilder so before that, you were just mild-mannered Little Aaron schlubby. Little schlubby Party Aaron guy, drinking beers, having fun. Uh, so I start bodybuilding because the guy before me was this big, muscly guy. And I was like, that must be what she's into. I don't know why the logic went there. Start bodybuilding. Then I discover steroids, which if you haven't done, they're amazing. I've never done them. you got to try Do you still them. do them? No, but I do testosterone replacement therapy. What do they do for that? You go they to shoot the doctor. Steroids in <laughs> That's exactly. It. <laughs> it's steroids, but yeah. without calling them steroids, because right, right. testosterone's in your body naturally. Right. So it's you're not really putting, you're not really putting like, like that's not. I wouldn't look like that. Fifty-one years old. Come on. I'm considering just listening to you. I'm considering yeah. it. I have body dysmorphia too. Do I you know have, what that I is? have it bad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you call me schlubby, it does not help. I'm my sorry. Dis I didn't mean to do oh, that. You, you're really lean and you look great. Just cut it out. Okay. Cut it out, Berg. All right. So 
we I start doing steroids. My cousin has uh, in the butt the, the shot. I started doing the pills first because I didn't want to put cycling. In me. Cycling, yeah, you know this. I just like the term cycling. Cycling yeah. sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like a peloton, but instead like, yeah. you're shooting stuff in your butt. It's amazing. It's a really gay habit to have, isn't it? It's it's the best. And then sometimes you got to get your friends to do it. You want to shoot me in the butt? Yes. Yeah. We did uh, steroids, so I started taking Winstrol pills. And then I started seeing results, and I was like, oh, this is good. How soon after do you start cycling that you see results? Within within a year of training, I won my first contest. My body took to it like crazy. It was unheard of how, how far I got in one year. I won like... 1994, Mr. Toronto Lightweight. No way. Yeah. So you're you're t- you're cycling with pills, and you're like, I'm gonna be a bodybuilder in competition, flexing and all that stuff. I don't know how it came. Here's what happened. I walked in the Pitbull gym. Pitbull was the the best gym in Toronto. These guys were freaks, and there was a guy I saw, and he looked like a jacked up Superman, long hair, white guy, like almost looked like dreads, big Superman tattoos. Huge, just scary to look at. And I go, boy, I wonder if one day I could look like that. And so I started doing drugs. And this guy's name was Kevin. And he works his way into the story later on. It's amazing how this foreshadowed. So I start training. I meet some other guys. They're from kind of rough neighborhood around there. A guy named Jim, who I just talked to a couple, a couple weeks ago, who reached out to me after not talking to me for years. Because when I started stripping, he goes, don't, do, don't strip for men ever. And I did start stripping for men, and he stopped talking to me. And he reached out to me. This is 25 years later. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. I was so small-minded. So homophobic back yeah, then? Yeah, and then I sent him pictures of my dick. Did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. That'd be great. That'd be funny. And then, uh, so I see this guy. I go, I want to I be able to look that good. So I started doing it. I started doing roids. I did the first content, and it was all I focused. I wouldn't cheat on my diet. If I took a bite of something, I'd spit it out. So what was your diet like? Back then, it was like five protein shakes a day, plain baked potatoes, egg whites. That was it. All day. All day. Every day. Yeah. Nothing else. No, nothing else. And you're fucking taking pills and you're working and out. And I was shooting up by that point. Shooting in your butt. Yeah, shooting in my butt. Winstrol, Primabolin. How soon after you started taking steroids did you start shooting them? Eight months, a year. Because were, were the guys like, you're not going to get there unless you shoot him in your butt? Yeah, people are like, you want to do this. Like, I hired a trainer, and he's like, what are you taking? I go, a little bit of this. I don't want to take. He's like, no, you need this, this, this. And, and you need like, to shoot it in your butt. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because it's so similar to drug addiction, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, it is I'm, I'm an addict for sure. And I don't think my wife understands. My wife drinks. My my drug of choice was alcohol for years and years. I'd drink three or four bottles of red wine a day. I'd drink a bottle of wine. I'd go out to shows in the city, and I'd drink for free all night at my shows and the nice clubs. So I'd be like, give me another Malbec. And you don't feel... You don't feel like a degenerate. You don't feel like Malbec. a degenerate, right. but you are a degenerate. And so my wife doesn't understand where I'll say, like, I'm an addict. I can't. And, you know, she keeps wine around the house and stuff. And, I, you know, I still fantasize, oh, one day I'll be okay enough that i can have a drink but i know i won't so i if i drank i'd i'd leave my wife i tell her that i go if i drank this is over like just so you know that's what that's the one thing that holds our family together is me not drinking a malbec tonight. that's exactly it i I, under, I can totally relate because it's a slippery slope i go on the road i'm on the road i get you know chicks are into me when i'm on the road all of a sudden yeah i'll go for have a wine or two all of a sudden 
your decision making process is gone. Done. You're, you're shooting non testosterone <laughs> cycles in your body. It's, it's like a thing. Did you ever shoot anything else? No. See, I think that's interesting. So, fucking year one, you see results how quickly? Quick. Like within a year. I got pictures. I'll, I'll show you. It's online. You can just look up Ehrenberg Bodybuilder. There's a picture of me at my first contest. Did you ever do AA or anything like that? I've gone to a couple meetings. Have you heard it talked about how people are addicts and alcoholics talk about being uncomfortable in their skin, which is why they drank and used? Yeah. Do you think that there's any similarity with what got you so involved in bodybuilding to feel okay in your skin or anything like that? Or was it just Melissa? I think that I think there was when when I was six, I remember looking in the mirror and I remember like posing and picturing like, oh, one day I'd look I, from six years old. I had this image. So I don't know if it was uncomfortable in my skin, but I also know that if I was big and muscly, that would be the first thing people paid attention to. They wouldn't pay attention to, hey, what's going on inside of you? What type of sh fucked up shit is happening? Like, oh, this shit is, this it's, guy's huge. It's a distraction. Right. Because when you see someone that's really muscly in like a small, tight-fitting t-shirt, that's the first thing you look at. Now, as you grow older, you're like, oh, this guy's clearly masking something. But when you're a kid, you it's wouldn't know that. This guy has serious, <laughs> obvious mental problems. Serious, obvious <laughs> mental problems. But because of Melissa, that's why I did it. At that point, and then that after that bodybuilding show, there was this moment where I was like, what am I going to do? And I started thinking of it as this heightened thing where like, I'm a modern day philosopher. Look at my body. It's so perfect. I need to work on my mind and my soul. You were and a renaissance man. I, that's exactly what I thought. But were you still writing? Were you still doing the Rambler I wrote, stuff? I wrote a poetry book that was so bad called 21 Without <laughs> a Trace. <laughs> I want to hear poetry. It's There's two copies of it left. Okay. It's like a little green print your own thing about breaking up with Melissa. Mm. And it was all anagrams. Like if you read down the first like i miss melissa. you melissa that's great <laughs> come back to come me, back like, to me yeah. um and then i was like what can i do and i was uh, i'm either going to become a bouncer or a stripper so i tried bouncing and i'm short and so i worked at this pub near my parents house and i'd sit on the stool and i'd be re reading kierkegaard and Deep, Aristotle. Deep, deep, yeah. deep writing. I'm such a smart bouncer and then, i'm such a smart muscular man yeah that's exactly it and then it gets to the point, by the way, when you're a muscular man, that you can be sexually harassed. So I worked in this restaurant, and all these women were there, and they're like, oh, look at you, like, grab me. And I was like, hey, that wouldn't be okay if it's the other way around. Was it okay to be funny? Like, like you don't see that many really, like, Joe Piscopo lost it when he got Yeah, there. Most guys lose it when they get to be really It wasn't muscular. okay to be funny then. No one knew what it was. If you tried to talk to somebody and be funny, they'd be like, huh? Yeah. Why is this guy talking to me? Now, I can do it. Wherever I go, I because I'm so good with people, I'll talk to, to talk to someone in the Staples. And then all of a sudden, it turns into this funny thing back and forth. But that's also your thing. Like, yeah. You have a great gift for, for crowd work, for man in the street work, yeah. for fucking with people that you first meet because you're quick. You want to make an observation. And you like connecting with them. I love I love connecting, and, with and it explodes into joy in your brain, and that's that's why you do it. It's yeah. obvious, and it's fun to watch, Thanks. and it's also like why you like coming here because it's like I'm someplace, and this guy is interested. It's like it's a it's a, a human connection. Thing. Yeah. Now, was it obvious when you were doing 
the beginning of, of cycling and weight training and competing that, that you were a funny guy deep, deep within you no. did that want to come out? I didn't, I was so insecure. I remember I would break down crying. I was on Anadrol 50, which is a very strong steroid. And I'd just break down crying and I'd be like, I don't know what people want from me. I don't know what, I don't know who to be. I don't know what people want from me. And I think that the steroids really play games with your mind, but I think that that was deep down, that's really what I was wondering. Like this, this facade had, kind of run its course you know what i mean like i'm like okay i've achieved this but now what and i was maybe 23 24 had no idea where i was going or what i was doing was it like i have a six pack but i need 10. it was sad 14. it was really i was really sad i would smoke weed every day to just get through as soon as my school was done i was in philosophy at the time as soon as school was done i'd start smoking weed to just get through the night and that was it. And I was sleeping with prostitutes like crazy. Hold on. I when did you start? Ahead. When did you start stripping? First of all, it was after the bouncing. So I, I did go, you fight a lot of people in those in those modes? No. Okay. No, I was, uh, I was. My head was in my book. Right. You were. You were the the philosophers. There's bouncer. a fight in there. All right. I'll be right in. Yeah. Like that type of thing. Um, so then I started stripping. The gym I went to, Pitbull Gym. I'll get to the hookers in a second. Uh, we started training real hard there and there was guys that stripped and, and they're like, Hey, I heard you want to do this. And I was like, yeah, for sure. But there was a guy named Danny Braveheart. It's not his real last name. And he's like, I'm getting out of the game. I got a cowboy costume. If you want to buy it, it's 300 bucks. Leather chaps, leather chaps, there. the whole thing. And I go, and let me think about it. So there's an ad in the back of the Toronto sun called, and you go down to this guy and he's like, take your shirt off. All right, if anything comes up, I'll let you know. So then they send me to the first gig I ever did in this small town called Aurelia, Ontario. Strip for female strippers. Maybe made 200 bucks, had sex with two strippers. Hold on, hold on. Who are you stripping in front of? Female strippers. Why are you stripping in front of female they strippers? They sent us to this gig where it was at a female strip club. So it's like ladies' night. So it's all these female strippers that usually work there. And then a couple, you know, hillbilly local yokel chicks. Were you were you like a good dancer? No, I couldn't dance. So Still can't. How, how does that even work? You're like you go slow. Oh, right. You do a lot of this. You do. Did some sound just? What sound just came out? Okay. Yeah, like that. It's breathing. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I was not good, but they liked the body, and it was a novelty to them. So then you stripped. Strip. Yeah. In front of the female strippers, Kiwi and Phoenix were their names, and you had sex with both of them. I had sex with Kiwi. It felt like two because the other one was in the other room. Turned out they were biker strippers. What does that mean? Bikers ran them. They were the bikers were there like pimps. Yeah, for stripping. Yeah, and fucking or just probably stripping? fucking. Probably both. Yeah. So that was your first gig. Huge success. Money, sex. They maybe you're so good. You're gonna kill it in this business. They all call it the business. Well, it is a business. Yeah. It's not pleasure. Yeah. What well, is it? How much pleasure? How much business? How scary is it? How high do you have to be to do it? How was drunk? It's so fun. Okay. It's the, some of the most fun I've had in my life. Here's the quick story of it. I go from there, then I go back to Toronto. There's a couple clubs in you Toronto. You don't need to do that quick. I'm happy to hear those. Stories. Okay. A couple clubs in Toronto. There was the Fox's Den, two X's. Fox says. Mm, that's the double X. And there was Caesars. So you go, I went to Caesars to work. 
I'd have to work the amateur nights, like Wednesdays, because I wasn't a pa- I wasn't like passed to work weekends. I wasn't that good shape. I just started. Went to Caesars, female club upstairs, guys club downstairs. So we'd still, and then I met a girl that night, and she's like, mm, "You look good." And I'm like, "You working upstairs?" She goes, "Yeah." I go, "Oh, okay." I go upstairs after. She's like, "You done?" Go, yeah. Drove her back to the projects, had sex in the baseball field. Really exciting. I'm like, this is great. In the dugout or on the field? Like the bleachers. Nice. And then uh, and then did Foxes down. Needed to get into the – I always want to be at the top. I always want to be at the top. And I always fall short. I, I feel like no matter how successful <laughs> I'm going to get, I shoot for the stars – it, it will never be enough. It's not. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be. I want to be one of those guys right now that sells out theaters and arenas. Probably not going to happen, even if I convince myself it's going to happen. I maybe start selling out theaters at some point. It'd be you great. were just saying that you believed in the power of positive. Well, behavior. that was a minute ago. Okay. So, uh, all right. I'll sell out theaters and arenas. It'd be great. But I go. I want to go to Fantasies. Fantasy Mail Review is the name of the place. It's the the top in Toronto. There was no Chippendales anymore. It was fantasy. So I had to work my way in, find these guys that work there, then get someone to vouch for you. Then go by. I auditioned for the lady. Car- Carmela was her name. Real, like, kind of mobstery lady. Ran the place with this guy named Diamond Dave. Mm. Like this wannabe biker. Yeah, had yeah. a lot of rings and would wear cowboy shirts. And, t- and he, I danced and he was, hey! Mom's at the back. She wants to talk to you. They called her mom. Carmela's mom. Yeah, because yeah. all these guys were ne'er do wells that had no mother figure, so she wanted to be the mom. And I'm like, I got a mom. Oh, you I don't need your mom. Call her Carmen. Yeah, call her Carmen. You're good. You gotta lose some weight. Come by Thursday. We'll try you out again, and uh, make sure your Sundays are free. I thought you're closed on Sundays. It's gay night. You're gonna do really, really good then. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not gay. She was nobody is. If you <laughs> if you want to work here on the weekends, you're gonna work Sundays. And I had to go and start working Sundays. So I would do the Sundays, the Thursdays. Were you crazy focused on the fact that she said you had to lose weight? A little bit. I mean, I was like, oh, I'll do another cycle, and you know. And I think I never got in peak shape. Stripping. I was in better shape bodybuilding. Some of the guys were in great shape. Here's how I started to make my money. I started to get funny by stripping because I couldn't dance. So they hired me a dance teacher. The really gay choreographer guy came in. He's like, what am I even working with? <laughs> he was so yeah. exasperated. Like, Do you even know how to count to two? And I was like, one, two. Oh my God. <laughs> Fucking fire me. And it was he was that furious. So I, I did it. And he brought me. They finally taught me enough to do like a cowboy step. So I had the cowboy costume. And I would come out. The old uh, Clint Eastwood thing would play. The <laughs> lights are down. Yeah. This, is, this is show business for me. <clears throat> it's show business. Lights are down. I pull the cap gun out. <laughs> Women. <sighs> then thank God I'm a country boy came on by John Denver. Sure. And they taught me this little cowboy step that I would do. And it looked like I could dance. And then Cotton Eye Joe came on. So I'd do the same step. A little faster. Just a little faster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Desperado came mm. on. That's or, the sultry number. Or Wanted Dead or Alive. Now, you have to show dick for this. The really? slow song, you have to go full naked. Wow. Full naked. 
you have to get hard and you have to tie an elastic around your cock and balls. No way. So when you get hard, it's me, you, six other guys in one room. And we're smoking a joint. Take some more wind Some guys would do this. Smoke a joint, pass it to me. And they jerk off while they're smoking with you. Yeah, yeah. Straight Lotion on their hands, passing it around. Get hard. I gotta go. And then go. I could not do that. I was, it took me two months to be able to get hard. I was trying these lotions that are like, get hard, stay hard lotion. Right. All this stuff. Finally, I got hard enough I could show my cock on stage. And boy, that was that a day. And I remember going up to mom. Aren't you proud of I me, go, mom? Did you see it? I got hard, mom. <laughs> did you see it? And then my real mom came one night. No, she did not. My real Naked mom. night? My real mom and aunt came. I told them I had the job, but I said, we don't go naked or anything like that. So she surprised you? Yeah. Her oh. and my aunt showed up and saw, and I didn't know. They left. And the next night I went for dinner. And she goes, we came and watched your show last night. And I go, oh, my God. Are the early one or the late one? The late one. I'm like, oh. Your aunt said, I can't believe you diapered him. <laughs> my mom was such a positive, still, like, you're, you're really talented. You were the best one out of all of what them. What a supportive <laughs> Jewish mother you had. But that one black guy, very, very large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. So they, they came by. It was, it was horrifying when they came by. But she, always, she would always do that. Just How like, drunk did you have to get to do it? I didn't. I, I felt really good doing it. And if I would get Cock drunk, out the yeah. whole thing. I mean, that's bold. They would, there was this roar. So you'd come out with a towel on for the slow song. There's a door. You'd go back after you did the first couple songs, go back, take the clothes off and put a towel on. Make sure your dick is, looks all good. Everything's proper. And then you'd go out and you'd kind of just walk around all slow and sultry and they'd be like, take it off. And you'd, go, uh, you'd, and you'd turn, you'd show a little bit of butt mm. and you'd turn and uh, won't it, dead or alive. And then you'd pull it and, and have a pretty good dick for a short guy. So women were kind of like, oh, like that. Because it's bigger because you're littler. Yeah, because I'm littler. And the elastic is tied off yeah. to keep. I was about nine inches when I was stripping. Amazing. Nine, nine and a quarter. Amazing. And I think now it's smaller, probably like seven and change now. But if I lose some weight, it'll get bigger. Yeah. That's how that's how penis size works. That's amazing. Um, and it, it was great. I It was so fun. And it was everything I dreamt of. I'd always dreamed of like, I'm gonna be out downtown late at night. Who knows what's gonna happen? And it was that, going to after hours clubs and doing ecstasy and smoking weed and hooking up with strippers. And it was so exciting. And it was so rich to be outside of a comfort zone and to live this life that I was not supposed to live. I wasn't, there was no reason I should end up showing my cock for money. Well, you had a nine inch cock and you could dance sultry to dead or alive, why not? You're not supposed, I it's, should have been in law school. As soon as you start cycling, it's all bets are off. You think so? I think so. I think the second Melissa left you for the muscle bound guy. Well, she didn't go with the muscle, I think she became a lesbian for a while. Either way, your yeah. destiny was sealed. But listen, it's fantastic. So you, cause I'm mean, first of all, to have the thrill of a crowd be thrilled Amazing. to see you naked. 300 women. I mean, that's got to be, nobody's, nobody's thrilled to see me in any, in any capacity. I naked, was excited clothed. to see you today. Well, that's nice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. 
there's something, listen, there's something in everybody's story that one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Maybe you thought you should be a doctor. Do you know how many doctors a lawyer. wish? A lawyer. a lawyer. How many lawyers wish that they could go out on a stage and people be excited to see them? I would talks? say between six and nine. That's, that's, I think you're wrong. I think okay. you're wrong. And, and I'm imagining in this period that is where addiction starts to ramp up. Nightlife is ramping up. Ecstasy, fucking strippers, yeah. Kiwi, Phoenix. Trudy, Sunshine. Mm. I fell in love with her, dated her for six months, thought I knocked her up. I told this story at DopeyCon. Thought I knocked her up. Luckily, it was ovarian cancer. She was not pregnant, but it was a scare. Did she live? She kept the cancer. Yeah, she lived. Okay. she okay? <laughs> she left me for a drug dealer, for like a Latin drug dealer. I lent her my car one night. She cheated on me in my car. Took the car. I was like, where are you? Showed up two hours later. And I'm Horrible. like, what the fuck? She's like, what? She was so mean. I want to know. Let's let's go back in time. Okay. Because you're, you're, you're on the town. Did you have a good stripper name? Brandon. Brandon Horrible Berg? stripper name. No, Cowboy just Brandon. Brandon. Could not use my last name. Just Brandon. Everybody else. There was Lance Romance. Why, wait, why Brandon? She goes, you look like Jason Priestley from 90210. I could see it. I had it back then. Yeah. I had sideburns. Yeah. I had hair. You had hair. I could and, see and it. And he'd yell. I could totally I mean, see it. it. Brandon, get down here. <laughs> You're in big trouble. There was guys fucking the girls in the place. There was this guy, Sergio. He was Persian, but he looked Italian enough. Or Spanish, they'd call him Sergio. And he and these girls would come. They'd want to fuck you in the private booths. They'd be like, come on, let me suck your dick. And I'm like, you can't. I'm going to get fired. Mom said if anybody gets caught getting their dick sucked, they're getting fired. You understand? <laughs> We're putting cameras up back there. They never put cameras, but they wanted you to think there were cameras up there. This is fascinating, though, because normal men, or me, I don't yeah. know if I'm a normal man, you don't get to see the hunger in women that you're talking about. <sighs> Outside of the strip club, had you ever experienced hunger like that? Mm -mm. Did it shock you? I'm shocked. Yeah, they're, they're voracious and violent. A, a girl came in. I did a shower song. They had a shower on stage. You'd get the fourth you're, you're song. You're on, and, you're, and your penis is tied And I'm off. not sexy. This is what I would do to be sexy. There was a great shower alone by Wait, what's the, the, what's the song? You <laughs> remained in Kiss by a Rose. Okay, Kiss from okay, a Rose okay. by Seal. Okay. And uh, you just kind of lean There's against a, the they shower. They the shower and Kiss by a Rose? I didn't even know that. No, it's just that's the song that would play when you're in the shower. And then... So the elastic had been on your dick for 20 minutes by this point. It's like cold and blue. There's no blood getting into your dick. This girl came up, wrapped a five around my cock like that, yanked my cock like to try and pull it off. And I go, oh, fuck. And we had a female bouncer and she grabbed this girl. And I'd gone to high school with this girl. I'd masturbated to this girl in high school. And now here she is wrapping a $5 bill yep. around her cock. And you think this is a big fantasy. She's hammered there for a bachelorette. She was a cop with the Toronto Police Department oh by this point in time. This bouncer took her, <laughs> threw her down the stairs. It was hilarious. And and it would happen all, It would happen a lot. But then there was bad nights too. where if you If you weren't tapped in... Mentally, you're just in a bad mood, and you wouldn't make any money. Right. You need to, you need to be out there. You need yeah. to be available. That's how I women. got funny was because I started making fun of the other strippers and doing impressions of the other strippers. They tried to fire me like three times. The only reason we're keeping you here is because the other fucking guys like laughing at you. 
And that was it. I'd do impressions of all these guys and them dancing and stuff. And that's, I think that's how I got funny. Now, when does alcoholism start showing itself? It was after that. Well, I started acting. I, I started trying to act. Did, did, you, did you get disillusioned from stripping? Did it become too gross? Too much calm? Here's the, here's the worst part of it, the end of it. I've talked about this on one other show, and it repulses people. Oh, good. What uh, show is it? Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank. Yes. I talked about it, and I get a lot of hate for it. There, there was a girl that fell in love with me uh, while I was stripping, and I had a friend named Johnny Thor. He's still around, still alive, still bodybuilds. He's barely got any teeth. I think he relapsed back on the crack. I think he's sober now. He was a crackhead pimp. And he taught me how to pimp someone. And Johnny he, Thor. Yeah. And he goes, you got you to gotta pimp this girl out. I, I could call him right now. He's a real person. And uh, he, he looks bad. He's three teeth left in his mouth. He's and like in his 16. phone, he's Johnny Thor. I'll believe you. No, 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 I'm, I trust And he taught me. What's it? He goes, you, you got to date this girl. You got to fucking turn her out. And I go, what do you mean turn her out? He goes, bro, fuck it. Look at you. You're in great fucking shape. Hundreds of fucking women want to fuck you. If this girl wants to fucking be with you, she got to fucking pay for your time. How do you get her to pay for your time? Well, I don't know. She got a job. Like, she just graduated. She graduated what? School. <laughs> he, went, he wasn't too smart. Get her getting a job. Like what? What do you do? I'm a stripper like you. Get her a fucking strip. Get her to hoe. Don't matter. She got to fucking come up with money. She wants to fucking hang out with you. She was your girlfriend? She was not my girlfriend. I, I turned her out, so she'd come by the club. I had sex with her. Me and French Kiss had sex with her and her friend. It was a four-way. We fucked both the girls. They fucked both of us. Then she calls. She's like, I, I love you. And I'm like, all right. And then her friend goes, you were her first. Wow. Which is weird, because French Kiss was 20 minutes after me. She could have gone well, for him. You know, he was the second. Yeah. You were the first. So I feel she like fell in love with many me. many Jewish stripper pimp stories there's not this seems like very like contrary to the normal nebuchy jewish schlubby type it is it, it doesn't happen a lot this is fantastic so she's blowing, you're a pioneer she's blowing it's like a jewish basketball player or something it doesn't <laughs> this, it doesn't sandy koufax yeah, of the pimp yeah, of the strippers um she blew me and then i go like and i started telling this stuff to her that he told me to say like i really want to be with you but it's like did you put on his voice no, his voices. They were heavy smokers. They were all heavy smokers. Yeah. And uh, she goes, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you, you got to leave your parents' place. You can't be hanging out at your parents. So she moved out. I remember going to pick her up, seeing you know the dad looking out the window. Sad. And it's like, I've been trying to cleanse karma for years. So... Um, In the hot tub at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were Muslim. Ironically, wow. and this is before the whole thing popped yes. off. So she was clearly a bad Muslim, blowing a, blowing a Jew and, and French kiss. <laughs> yeah, and French kiss. Was he French? No, okay. he, he was from Moncton, New Brunswick. So I get her to get a stripping job, and she's like, I don't know what to do. She, this girl, straight A student, go starts stripping at this place in, in Toronto, real dump of a strip club. It was the only place that would take her, and she'd come out and I'd be like, All right, what do we make? Hold on. Is this what the movie's about? Because yeah. this is what the movie should be about. Yeah. What a horrible thing. So was she good at it? Started making money. I go, you got to get me a place to live. So got me a condo 
And then she goes, I got us a condo. Let's move in. I'm like, I don't want to live with you yet. I go, Johnny needs a place to stay. Let Johnny stay there. Let Johnny stay there. So Johnny Thor moves in with your lady friend. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she gets enough money to get her tits done and stuff. She keeps giving me money throughout. And then she was talking to Johnny Thor's girlfriend because she was like, why are you staying at this Thor's house? And they love this girl, Jenny. So then Jenny reaches out to the girl that was working for me. And she goes, just so you know, his real name is not Brandon Rosenberg. Because <laughs> I told her. She goes, what's your last name? I said, Rosenberg. I know it's Berg, and I know where your parents live. And I'm like, oh, this is hitting too That's what Jenny said? No, this is what the girl that I was running uh, said. So she, Jenny the, told her. The pimp hand diminished at this point. The pimp hand was very diminished at this point. Once the parents are thrown in, you're like, you don't it's want your over. parents getting a call. No. Your son's a pimp now. So... It dwindled down, and then I went, I left. I left the province, like went out Hold of state. Up, though, in all seriousness. Yeah. Like, what made your morality so diminished at this point of your life? Like, to, to pimp some sweet girl who lost her virginity to you yeah. is not, it doesn't seem like it would come naturally. In to my you. defense, she was kind of a bitch. But it, was from working in that business. The commodity. And seeing the way you really start to dislike women after you see women like that. Where you start to, like that girl, that girl fucked me the night before she got married. They're all whores, they're all. And it's like, that took so long to, un misogyny. Like the misogyny that you learn from living through that. The, you became the, the, they commodified you. Right. As this sex toy, yeah, you came to hate them for it, yeah, and it turned into utter misogyny. I would agree with you, and it was, and that's why. After that, I had no social skills. I couldn't talk to women, so I would order prostitutes because that was the only way I could communicate was other people in the sex trade. Right. So I'd order a prostitute for $120 when I lived in this small town where I went to finish my philosophy degree. They'd show up. I'd open the door, shirtless, and they'd be like, hey. I'm like, hey, what's up? You want to come in and smoke a joint? And it was just like, oh, these are my people. Whores. Because you were, you were one. Yeah. Yes. Whores. And, and it was... You, I didn't get into Bukowski until years after this, but you see like the shades of, there's something so poetic and much simpler to access about people that are like that, that kind of wear their hurt in what they do and who they are than when you look at people that are of an upper echelon in society. There's something really gritty and poetic about it. I didn't know what it was. And the hookers had come over and fall in love with me. And be like, I want to see you again. Can because I see you, you were again? one, you were one of them. Yeah. But what talk? Let's unpack a little bit of what that gritty poetry was. Like, obviously, Bukowski wrote about kind of our people, alcoholics, yeah. downtrodden people who who didn't have friends, who couldn't kind of function in the light of day, have a normal job, feel love, receive love, and they they operated in the shadows, like. I guess what it was, and, and please, I want to hear your opinion. Yeah. They would show up at your house and they would know that you were them and they felt safe somehow. I think so. 
And did you and you did you feel disgusted by them or disgusted with yourself or, or how did it land for you? I felt neutral, but I wasn't in touch with any emotions at that time unless they were like drug related, you know, like the steroids would make me really emotional. But it was just like there was this you you would hit something off so instantaneously. Like when I fell in love with the stripper, it was just like we were on ecstasy and I was like, oh, my God, I love this girl. And not knowing it was the ecstasy that did it. I was I'm still I still have trouble emoting like I'm better at it. But I think you you push so much of it down. Well, you went through the fucking ringer with this story. Yeah. You know, like you went to some other place. And the thing about it is it's so funny because you're a comedian. And when you really inhabit the worst of the story, it is the funniest. And when you divorce yourself from the emotion around it, it's the fucking funniest. Yeah. But you have a six-year-old. You have a family. I'm sure that there's a weird other feeling in you around it. And it must be hard to access it. Yeah. it's. I mean, look, I go to therapy, but it's not... When I look at my daughter, I am so careful and so protective because I know what bad men can do because I was a bad man. Let's let I want to hear like how did the addictions come in at that point? The the weed was every day, so smoking every day. So to stop that was so hard because I would smoke weed to sleep. I would smoke weed to train. I would smoke weed to eat. It, to it was it was the whole bodybuilder mentality. Weed helps all those things. So you smoke pot every day for how many years, you think? A couple years, three, four years. And then somehow I stopped that. I think I moved back to my parents' house when I was like in my mid-20s when I wanted to try and become an actor. Hold on, you didn't even say why you stopped stripping, though. It was because oh, it was the beca- pimping thing came to, the, and I knew it wasn't going anywhere. We went on a trip to L.A. This is what happened. I wanted to be a movie star, so me and French Kiss, French Kiss had stripped for this gay dude in Toronto, and he's like Jeff. He goes, Jeff's got this place in L.A. He invited us. He said he'll pay for our tickets and blah blah blah. And I'm like, dude, let's go to L.A. I want to be a movie star. So we went to L.A. on this trip, and I already wanted out. I was like, this isn't going in. There was nowhere to go. Stripping had no, there was no height. So you walk away from stripping. Did you feel like demoralized or were you just like, I'm done with this fucking shit? I think I worried about what would come back to me. But this is before the internet and stuff. So it was like, I I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do something. But I was also worried about, like, would people see me and be like, hey, you're that guy who fucking knocked up my wife. Right. Did anything ever come back from it? I started doing stand-up because I did one movie called Detroit Rock City. And I was in that movie. What is it? With Eddie Furlong. Yeah. He was on the show. scenes with Eddie Furlong. And I figure I'm going to be a movie star now. This is what I wanted my whole life. doesn't happen. Was he high then? Hard to tell. And were you high then? No. I was I was in really good shape. If you look at Detroit Rock City, I'd probably I would drink on occasion. I think I had everything under control, control at that point. But once this didn't start to happen, I'm like, I need to become a better actor. I became a theater actor. That's when I started boozing. I'd black out drunk, not be able to get in my Why? own place. Because I associated that with being a great actor. Like an artist. Yeah. An artist is tortured and drinks. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. 
and, and you put yourself through so much torture just because you think it's going to make you better, and it doesn't. I think if you if you recognize the beauty of life, that in itself is art. But I start doing stand up because I'm not working as an actor. So I go, oh, I can do this. So I start doing amateur nights and I start embracing that and I'm drinking like crazy. Still in Canada. Yeah, all the great comics are drunks and drug addicts. And, and Canadian Bruce has and... a great comedy history too. Yeah. Did I say Canadian? Canadian, sorry. Canada. And I'm on stage one night at this open mic. The bar was called Einstein's, maybe 10 or 15 people. And I'm doing, and I'm starting to get funny. You know, I'm five years in. And this guy, Adam McFawn, who's uh, battled with sobriety, I think, for years. I think he's sober now. He comes up to me. He goes, there's this really hot chick at the back who wants to talk to you. I go, really? And I walk to the back, and my face, like seeing a ghost, was the girl that would... The $5 bill? Which one? The girl that would give me the money that I... The pimped out girl. Yeah. And she walked up to me, and she looked at me, and she goes, remember me? Oh, my God. And I, yeah. How you doing? Just how the fuck you think I'm doing? You ruined my life. And what did you say to her? We all make mistakes. That's what you said? Yeah. We all make mistakes. What was she doing at that point? Porn. Did you feel guilty? Did you take her out? No, I don't think she wanted to talk to me. But she showed up to see you do comedy? Yeah. Just to tell you that you ruined her life? <sighs> yeah, I think she was angry. She also, I'd seen her once before, like when I first got out of stripping, I went to a strip club and she was there and she just goes, you look old. And I go, yeah, I'm a year older than when you last saw me. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, she goes, you ruined my life. And I said, well, we all make mistakes. And then I said, we all have choices. I wish you all the best. And I walked away. And I don't know. I don't know what she's doing now. See, in 12-step recovery, we are supposed to make amends. Yeah. Right? Ninth step, you make amends. But you did you didn't do the 12 steps. No. So you didn't have to make amends to this girl. Thank God. I huh? wonder what happened to her. I wonder if she's listening to the show. She's a Dopey Nation person. Here's She seems like a real potential Dopey Nation person to me. Here's If she does... This is your moment. What would you say to her, Aaron? Honestly... I think I was young and insecure, and I probably took advantage of the fact that you were, what's the word I'm looking for? She wasn't in love with me, infatuated with me. She was susceptible. She was inf impressionable. Yeah, you were impressionable. And uh, you didn't need to strip, and I shouldn't have You should have been. Why don't you, apo why don't you, why don't you apologize? Is that what you do? Well, you say, I made, I, I think what you do is you, you own your part of the situation. Like I've, I've reflected on what I've done and I wish it had gone another way. And if I could do it differently now, I would. And I'm really sorry for it. I've reflected on what I've done and if I could do it differently now, I would do things differently. And I would not, uh, I would not introduce you to stripping. I don't think it's a, a good life for a girl. When you go over this stuff with a kid, a little girl at home, and your comedy is so raunchy. Yeah. Does it fuck with you at all? Of course. How? I don't want my daughter to see what I do. And then like a couple of weeks ago, she had to because she was with me at a show and there was nowhere to leave her. Oh, my so God. So I go, come on, you're going to watch the show. 
play your iPad. So she was playing her iPad, and I went up, and she clapped when I went up, and and then she's like, "Daddy, what did you mean by vagina lips?" Well, up? she she fell asleep after ten minutes, which is good, but she said, "You said some bad words up there, and I just want you to know that I don't want those words to hurt me." And I go, "Okay, I understand that." So it's yeah, it's definitely something I battle with. I have, and, I, and I understand why people like get to a point and they're like, I need to make a Disney movie for my kid because they're trying to cleanse the rest of the stuff that they've done. But I'm also not going to let my kid grow up in a world that's, you know, hidden from what I do. And it's not because she's going to be able to find it on the Internet or whatever she wants to do. Well, I mean, I have two daughters, um, 13 and five. Yeah. And I have a show that's basically just about heroin addiction. Yeah. The things I did when I was high. And, and things other people did. And like stories like this one. And it's like before we started talking, you said, fuck this game. I just want to do my art. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, it's like our art isn't necessarily for them, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fucking thin line. It's not easy. And it's also like, dude, you come in here and, and, and your act is, is debauched, funny, over the top. Yeah. But when you come to a place like this and you know it's all debauchery, fucked up stories, and then I'm like, what about the human side? Does it fuck with you? Because it feels like I, I've, I've fucked with you yeah. a little bit, but I don't want to fuck with you. No. I mean, it, it has to be done. Does it? Yeah. Do you feel okay? Yeah, I feel good. I mean, that's the introspective part of it. Here, my dad's come home. Oh, there's your dad. Hi, how are you? Do you remember Aaron? Nice to see you. You don't remember me. He remembers you. Yeah. You, you. You traumatized him. Did I really traumatize you? Do you remember Aaron from Dopey Con? At the Dopey show Con at uh, Dopey Con. How are you? How you do? How you do? Hello, yes. You want to tell him how you, he traumatized you? Uh, you mean with the language? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was more content than language. Well, the content of the language was, con yes, it was difficult. Yes. It, you enjoyed it so much it was traumatized. It, I, yeah, I'm traumatized. <laughs> yes. I, well, true, I am. Anyway, so you're doing well, right? Yeah, everything's great. We're That's just wonderful. uncovering some of my darkest secrets. Oh, ah, okay. Very good. How is physical therapy? Oh, God, I don't know. She gives me so much stuff to do. Everything hurts, but I hope it's going to get better. He just got a hip replacement. Yeah, nice. All right, you got to get out of here. We gotta finish my this. wife's going to get a new knee. No, we need to know. First of all, how do you deal with misogyny of the past now? Before we get to sobriety and stuff. How do I deal with misogyny? Like when you tell a story yeah. and, you, and, and you unload on how you felt about women in that period of time. And then you talk about loving your wife. And obviously you talk about loving your daughter. Mm -hmm. And you talk about being misogynistic back then. How do you make peace with it now? I mean, I just try to do the best things that I can now. So maybe that's why I have a mean wife. Hmm. Could be. For, for the things that I've done. Does she know? Oh, she knows. And what does she think? She thinks I was a dirtbag. But you're not a dirtbag now. No. You don't want to say it, though. Why don't you want to say it? That I'm not a dirtbag yeah, now? I'm not a dirtbag You're now. not a dirtbag I'm now. a really nice guy. Now, how did you get sober? Uh, Rock Bottom was hosting a show at The Stand, the third one of the night. Here. Yeah, in New York. I'd been drinking, you know, I moved to New York, so it was all about booze till four or five in the morning all the time. And then one night, I was, I would, 
my chest would hurt because I smoke. So I drink red wine because red wine's good for your heart. That's this what is, they say. This is the logic I was going through. And then I just remember one night I was teetering outside the club and I forgot that I already brought one guy out. And I was very functioning. I could do the job very well, still be very funny. And then I woke up the next morning and I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. So I stopped smoking and I stopped cigarettes the same day, which was a horrible. You stopped smoking weed and cigarettes. You know? I wasn't smoking weed by that point. I wasn't a weed guy anymore. Uh, I stopped cigarettes and booze the same day. So I went hard detox. Like I couldn't leave my apartment for three weeks because my body was so rattled. So I'd leave to get Gatorade and cold medicine. That was it. Were you taking, uh, were you like doing Coke or anything in the end? Or no. Just drinking. It was just drinking. Just wine. Yeah. And then, like, what, when did, did you, did you turn up at meetings in the beginning? Or were you just like, fuck it, I'm done? I was just, I'm done. I'm going to do this. I white knuckled it hard. And people were like, you need to go to meetings. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm just going to do this. And I, and I tried to replace, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym real hard because that that fell away from me i'd stopped doing that while i was drinking really hard so the gym kind of saved me and brought me back which is something i guess a lot of addicts do is try and replace something with something and i didn't look back and were there a lot of comics who were in recovery yeah was lot. that like a thing yeah there's a lot and were they like you should come to meetings or did they not go to meetings they, or like what did they They said about? it's your own thing some guys would be like you should go to meetings other bobby kelly i remember the day i stopped or like a few days a few weeks after i went in to do his podcast and he's like you seem on edge i'm like i quit drinking and smoking cigarettes and he's like you can't do both those at the same time i'm like i fucking did um so there was some people, yeah, some guys would be like, yeah, they wouldn't push it. They'd be like, if you want to go to a meeting, I got a list of some, or I go to blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. So I did. What year was that? 2013. So that's 10 years. It'll be 10 years, February 17th. And no celebrating. Celebrating. No celebrating your... It's in the phone. Like I have it in my phone. See, I think, I think the best part about meetings is... Getting a chip. Yeah, it's 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 being with alcoholics and addicts and, and 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 you could do a lot for them. Yeah. And it would do a lot for you. Right. That's that's I mean you're not going. It doesn't I I right. went to one last year. I mean when it gets near the anniversary is when I get You real, go. I go, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the time to go. You get yeah. the accolades. Now let me ask you this and I want you to really answer as best you can. You came in here fired up, happy. Now yeah. you look miserable. <laughs> is it is it my fault? Like, do you feel bad? Telling no, I this feel story? like I've, we've expelled so many demons. Do you really? And had such a great, yeah, I don't feel bad for you. Didn't make me feel I bad feel, at all. I, feel, I love being able to examine the emotions because you do a lot of straight up comedy podcasts. Yeah, and you fucking smash. Dude, this rules. You feel okay? I I feel great. All right, good because I don't want to be a downer for you. And uh, I love that you ripped it up at DopeyCon. Yeah. Which I think is very important. And the thing about Rich Voss is like, obviously he's a comedy legend. Yeah. He just, um, I don't think he really wanted to be there. Yeah. I had him come on the show one time during COVID and he's like, I'll call you. Uh, whatever his accent is. I'll call you. And yeah. I was like, okay. So he calls me to come on Dopey while he's driving to visit his daughter in college. And he like, he didn't want to do it. Yeah. So the only thing that makes a guest a good guest is that they want to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I, 
Oh. And I love Rich Voss. I think he seems like a nice guy. I want to circle back to Rich Voss, yeah. but I think if he comes here, he's not, he's not going to want to be here. Yeah. He's not going to want to do I it. I did. Well, you wanted See, to. See, I got to run the gamut of emotions, too. How do you feel? I'm excited to, listen. you know. I appreciate you coming. Sad, not sad. What do I feel? Pensive. How do you feel? When you go through that. I feel that, peaceful right now. You do. Yeah. And do you have any guilt, shame, remorse around that very, very, very uh, debauched period in your life? I would say I've dealt with it, and I don't anymore. Um, I feel like the things that I, the actions that I do and the way that I think, it was a learning experience for me. But that's, I'm sure what people say whenever, you know, if they say the N-word on TV, it sounds like the story that they would come back to. I've learned I've learned something, yeah. Seems like uh, there's a lot of N-word saying on TV. Is <laughs> it seems like it seems like that's a thing. I'm watching Pulp Fiction again. Oh yeah, tell me. Let, let's go full circle because yeah. you were, you were talking about being done with mainstream comedy, yeah. being done with mainstream entertainment. What does that look like? I'm, I want to be an underground sensation. Remember underground sensations? They're not around anymore because everything is mainstream. Everything's trying to pop off. I'm not going to try and pop off. Anymore. I think we dopey is is a little bit of an underground sensation. Yeah, I feel pretty. There you good. go. I feel like, and and I've also felt what you're talking about in that I've tried to pop off and I've tried to partner up with people yeah. that don't really get our vibe and and don't really align with what we're doing and I'm trying to please them and get them to give me money and whatever, but it always fails. I think sometimes we have instilled in us, like if you fail, you just got to keep trying and try harder and harder and harder. And it's like, maybe sometimes you fail, you should just be like, oh, cool. I learned that that's not for me. And I feel like that's what I'm learning through doing years of like trying to pop off on the internet and stuff. And I think we should just make good art, and I think people will find it. And I think magic happens when you put in the work and you do what you're supposed to do. All right, and that's the power of positive thinking. Okay. Aaron, thank you for coming. This I is awesome. I'm glad you had such a good time. It was so fun. We got to do it again sometime. I'm down. I'm going to go pimp someone else out, so I got some more stories. You know, Lenny Dykstra came here once to record. I had to pay him. Yeah. And uh, he said he wanted to pimp my dad. Really? He thought he was a gigolo, and he thought my dad was very pimpable to the old ladies of the Upper East Side. Lenny Dexter wants money. Oh, yeah. Listen, Aaron, thank you for what coming. What a pleasure. It's been more of a pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you. So that's Aaron Berg. I would love to know your guys' opinion about him. I really enjoyed him. I think he was a sweet, sweet guy who's done a lot of not-so-sweet shit which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to some of it. Send in your thoughts to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Send in a voicemail. Send in an email. And the other day, I was very, very fortunate to hang out with my friend Ray Brown. He actually performed at the um, Dry Dopey January with the Phoenix and Peoplehood starring Hank Azaria and Chloe LeBranch featuring Ray Brown and Aaron Carr. And I wanted him to tell you like how cool it was. But I also, we always love to have Ray on the show. So welcome back to the show, Ray Brown. Welcome back to the show, Stephen Raymond Brown the Third. 
Yes, that's my real name. And you are talking about your husband's doctors. You can't talk about that. I, I don't want to. I don't want to give his name. No, I didn't give his name. Do you want to talk about the it's horrible injury that's happened to your husband? No. But I will say he goes to a doctor that is so. How sleazy. about the fact that you used to wash your? <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? I didn't tell you. I, I, I bought you a washing machine. Yes, you told. It's the best invention ever. You told me. It's amazing. It's changed my life. I don't know if you ever smelled me. Do I ever smell? Because not. not I never noticed your, I, your odor. Because I often just didn't change my clothes because I didn't have any way to wash them. I thought you washed them in the shower. Yeah, like. Twice a year. And you are too cheap to use the laundromat. And the laundromat is gross also. And it's I have to carry my laundry three blocks. So I bought this washing machine. It's amazing. Describe Dopey Nation what, ki- what your washing machine is all about. It sits on top of my kitchen sink. And I pour water in there and put some soap in there. And it's then like it a chicken soup machine or something. Yeah. It's tiny. And then when it's done, I empty it into the sink. And then it spins around really fast and it dries clothes out. And I hang them on the radiator. It's a dryer, too. Yeah. It's a washer-dryer combo. It spins dry. It doesn't dry them. You know, it does what a washing machine does. But, yeah, there's this doctor that is... I went to pick my husband up one time, and I was like, there's a bunch of junkies hanging out in front of the doctor's office. And he's like, "Those are, that's the staff. And the staff are all in a harem owned by the doctor, and they're all on crystal meth. And one of them killed himself in the doctor's office. What is the doctor and prescribing them? Adderall? Uh, and now, oh, there's something I won't even tell you about <laughs> this, but I'll tell you later. And now the doctor is asking patients for large amounts of money, like tens of thousands of dollars, to keep the business afloat. <laughs> but why would a patient give him that money? I don't think anyone has. Is he selling scripts? I suspect that. And last night, Ray performed... At a dopey, dry January with the Phoenix at Peoplehood featuring yeah. Hank Azaria, Chloe, or starring Hank Azaria and Chloe LeBranch featuring Ray Brown and Aaron Carr. And Aaron Carr. <laughs> what did you think of the title? It was, uh, well, we've been talking about this today that I claimed I didn't know what it was or where it was or anything about it on my way walking there. And then when I got there, it was not in a rehab, and it was... You, uh, Ray thinks Ray has an idea that everything that I do is in a rehab. <laughs> and then afterwards, he's like, oh, that wasn't in a rehab, Dave. And, uh, and then he's like, my husband's crazy, <laughs> and I know it's Ray. <laughs> I, think you, I think your husband's at home, like, he's got his shit together talking to somebody. Ray's out of his mind. <laughs> so tell them how good it was. Tell it was great. It was great. He and said it was better than DopeyCon. It was yeah, it was better than Dopeycon. It was a condensed. It was like a highlights of Dopeycon. Right. It was. It was like Dopeycon was like like a three day festival. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And this was like an where a, we slept in tents. Right. This was like a tight event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was an hour and a half. Dopeycon was like a wake. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't a church. <laughs> right. And it went on forever. Also, the sound last night was way better. Oh yeah, that ec- I forgot about the echoey sound at Dopeycon. I didn't use a mic. You didn't need one. I, I learned how to do that at Cat Weasel, where I met you. I, somebody came up to me and was like, I like your song, but you've never sung without a mic. You need to learn how to do that. And I learned because I played that room a lot. I like playing without a mic. I prefer it. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I don't I don't I think somehow I got used to speaking with the mic, maybe from this. Well, 
I, this is a pet peeve of mine, is when they do a panel discussion where they're passing the mic around and somebody's like, holds the mic like this. Yeah, well, people do that all the time. People I do that for this. Yeah. That's why I always yell at people to, go to put the yeah. mic closer to them. They'll also hold the mic like this. It's yeah. in front of them, but it... You need to act like you're going to blow right. the mic. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Blow the or mic. Kiss. Yeah, kiss. okay, whatever. <laughs> and uh, last night was... There was a lot of laughs. I was at my funniest last night. I got a lot you of laughs. Were, you were quick, and Chloe LeBranch was so dark, so amazing. She would, and, and Hank Azaria. He was very funny and very quick, too. You know, he did some, like, off-the-cuff stuff. I can't remember now, but I was like, wow, that was quick. You know, from something somebody said 10 seconds ago and to bring it up again. No, he's really, really funny, but and he was, he was also just incredibly generous to do the event. Right, right, Like I, to show I, up for that. I was putting it together, and I was talking to him about something, and I was like, oh, would you do this event? And he was like, yes. And I was like, that's weird. Oh. Yeah, because, I mean, he doesn't have to do that. And as far as, like, giving back or AA tw with the 12th step of, like, like, you can do that in many other ways rather than. I think he likes the attention. And, and I also, ha you have to know or agree that that room was in love with him. Oh, yeah. They knew his work like... Oh, yeah. When the Q&A started... It was crazy. Yeah. I didn't know he was famous. <laughs> Ray was... I mean, like, because I tell people that Hank Azaria is doing the show, and they're like, who's Hank Azaria? Yeah. But in that room, they knew every fucking movie he did. Well, I sent the, uh, the flyer to my friends in Ireland, and they were like, oh, my God, this is the biggest thing ever. I can't believe you're doing this, because The Simpsons is is so big there i thought that when he went into his simpsons talk it was really good and when he talked about matthew perry yeah like that was really strong exclusive i mean i guess the simpsons should he all do yeah. on our show is that is that videotape gonna be public uh yeah eventually okay. after the patrons get through with it yeah first it'll be a patreon video okay. i'm looking forward to seeing it i'm looking forward to seeing chloe LeBranch again <laughs> and she wore leather pants Oh, she did. I couldn't. I couldn't see anything. She wore leather pants. I was sitting at the back, and she did a lot of really risque, sexual, and druggy yeah. material. I, I watch a lot of stand up. I love as dark as you can go. She went darker than anyone I've ever seen. I can't. I mean, you really think so? Darker than Aaron Berg? Who's that? Aaron Berg was the really risque comedian at DopeyCon. Like the guy oh, who was him. a male stripper oh, and all the shit was about like yeah she went doing much she went much darker than him. He's actually on the show this week. Oh really? And he talks about being a male stripper. He talks about how big his dick I is. I remember him talking he, about. He talks that. about how big his dick is, and he talks about pimping out a woman really? who went to to see him perform. It's really I'll crazy. I'm curious to hear how that how that works. He also has a very very inviting voice. He also recorded here. We have a video of it, and he was he was like sh he was like flexing his muscles Should the I whole time. Me to do it? Yes, <laughs> and he goes, he goes. I've never looked this big in my life. <laughs> he always yeah. looking at himself. Yeah. I was oh like, this God. is this is weird. That's weird. <laughs> I was like, this is odd. Yeah. No, I thought she was funnier than him and darker. Yeah, I thought I thought she. I think she. I mean, she was in her own world, like when she. Some of that, like when you're playing guitar and singing on stage and you close your eyes, that reminded me like she was in that space. I, I totally agree. 
I totally agree. And she was great. Yeah. And uh, and she had fun. And I think she was very moved by the fact that Hank Azaria was there. Yeah. So I didn't talk to her. I've never talked to her, but I wish I had. You should have talked to her, Ray. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Yeah, I, I I was like, you were like, you have you should mingle. This is for mingling. <laughs> you didn't want to mingle. No, then I did mingle with dopey people only. Well, that's fine. Let mingle with dopes. That's yeah. nice. The dopes, well, the dopes were happy to see you, and and you should have mingled with Devin. You would have gotten. I talked to that. Devin. All right. Do you want to hear some stuff that I've gotten sent to me? Yeah. Okay. This one is an ad that a company sent me on Instagram. It says, hello, we are a psychedelic company operating from the Netherlands. <laughs> At the moment, we are giving away free LSD gummies <laughs> as promo. Would you like to apply for a free oh LSD God. gummy? Oh HTTPS <laughs> colon slash slash cosmicbars.com. This is because you're dopey. I don't know, but <laughs> I had to write it down. <laughs> That's right. hilarious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you something else. Amsterdam. I, I love some LSD. I don't want it, but I do. You want some in your freezer? In my face. <laughs> I want some LSD <laughs> in my eyeballs. I, I stayed with my dentist recently. I stayed yeah. over, and he's like, have you ever done mushrooms? And I'm like, hundreds of times. And he's like, I'm thinking of doing therapeutic mushrooms. And I'm like, I would never touch mushrooms again, but if I fully support you doing them under a doctor's supervision. It's like, how does a doctor supervise doing mushrooms? Right. It's I'd such love to watch bullshit. that. Yeah. It's like, give me a break. Right. Just keep them from jumping off the balcony. Um, I'm going to read you this thing. Yeah. Okay. Hello, dopey friends. That's you. Your dopey friends. Okay. <laughs> Hello, dopey friends. First and foremost, I hope this missive. What the fuck is a missive? It's a letter. From where? Who says missive? Old timey people. I hope this missive. Well, look at it. It's. it's an open letter to the Dopey Nation <laughs> by Joe S. Thomas. Do you get shit like this often? I have so much fucking shit. I'm going to start doing an extra show a week with up, stuff like this. Crazy emails. Just emails, chill out, yeah. psychedelic LSD ads. All right. Hello, Dopey friend. I, I hope. I was first drawn in <laughs> by the Jerry Stahl episode and also the Steve Earle episode. I'm a big fan of both gentlemen. I'm a writer musician from the state of Georgia. I've toured and made a few records with a few punk bands, and I had a few of my written pieces published. Writing and music are my life. I'm currently working on my first collection of short stories. This guy's just braggy, braggy, braggy. Yeah. Promote, I'm, promote, I'm, promote. I'm currently working on my first collection of short stories, essays, poems, rants, and stream of consciousness oh, writing. I am too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, this book will be edited and ready to go sometimes in 2024. Hopefully, it'll be edited. Fingers <laughs> crossed. My, <laughs> my drug-using story begins at the age of 13 with alcohol. Alcoholism runs rampant on my father's side of the family, and suffice it to say, I was not spared. I have two beautiful, intelligent, healthy daughters. <laughs> creepy <laughs> that's the way i read it <laughs> both now in their 20s who are vivacious and in the prime of their sexual prime sexual prime <laughs> who are thriving thriving and doing well i just hope that nasty ass alcoholic gene stays far far away from them however i know it's ugly ass is always just around the corner looking for vivacious prey after drinking, I moved on to using pot, LSD, coke, meth pills, etc. 
I would try anything once. I found myself really loving pain pills. I never really got into trouble or debt or anything really bad involving these pills, but I did pick up a habit. Without any help, I got away from them once and considered <laughs> this email me <laughs> and considered myself lucky. It's like crouching tiger hidden crack. It isn't. <laughs> crouching high. Do you remember how good he was? Uh, whatever happened to that guy? This was around the time the opioid epidemic was really picking up steam. Oh, here we go. Moving on to about 2013. <laughs> oh, my God. I had an accident involving three crushed dick, dicks, I mean discs, up and down my spine. I have had two separate surgeries being cut open from the front on both accounts due to the nerves involved. It was too dangerous to, for them to go through the back. One surgery was through my throat. <laughs> Who writes an email? And I what, hope he's not listening. He, what does he, th does he think I fucking they care? They put the I'm knife sorry. in through my abdomen. It was rusty. Um, <laughs> to fix the crushed discs at the top of my spine and the other surgery involving cutting me open just below my navel, <laughs> moving my guts, and fixing... The crushed discs way at the bottom of my spine. Dopey Nation, don't write an email like this. I found out I had spinal stenosis and spondylosis, which makes my spine sort of sponge-like and causes problems with the bones eroding quicker than the average person, from what I understand. Sorry, I'm not a surgeon. Hopefully this description is understandable on your end. I spent three months riding the couch, eating 30 milligram Percocets, methadone, muscle relaxers, and some other medications that weren't as fun and exciting as the three mentioned previously. The thing is, I don't really think I had an addiction before my surgeries. By all means, I took drugs recreationally and maybe came close to catching a habit, but it wasn't anything I couldn't have handled on my own, in my opinion. You hate this email. <laughs> it's way too long. It's, gonna, okay, it's almost over. Earlier, I mentioned the opioid epidemic, which comes into play now in the chronology of my story. I still have severe pain that I can't deal with on my own from the surgeries and the continued issues with my diagnosis. When I went to the doctor to seek relief, they all but laughed me out of the office when I asked for a mild pain reliever. They simply will not prescribe that stuff any longer. This led me to the bureaucracy and hoop jumping of pain management at my surgeon's request, which was a horrible joke, in my opinion. You don't need to say in my opinion. It's obviously in your opinion yeah. if you're writing it. It was a horrible joke. I'm going to edit this now. I found this out after two or so visits. In severe pain and with my shot at a halfway normal life dashed, <laughs> I turned to methadone for some pain relief. I like when people say methadone. When they say methadone, it sounds more street. Uh, for some pain relief. It was far easier than the hoops one must jump through for a pill that didn't even touch my pain. I'm currently taking 170 milligrams of methadone That's a, a day. Lot. That's a lot. I know the dosage. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself still in pain as nothing will ever take the pain completely away, but I refuse to go anything higher on the methadone. It's a lot of methadone. In fact, I'm thinking of dropping the amount down as much as possible. I suppose I just feel hopeless about my situation. The pain is too much to bear without anything at all, yet the doctors in my area are either sadist or just don't give a fuck. I feel methadone was my only choice for any... What? I feel that methadone was my choice for any help, but now I'm handcuffed by that shit. I have extreme issues with depression and anxiety, and all of this just brings me down so low 
that I feel useless in every way imaginable. I'm scared to completely come off the methadone, to be perfectly honest. I don't blame you. I've heard you state on the show you were on a hefty dose of methadone yourself. I would like to know if you are able to safely and sanely get away from the methadone. How does he not know that I got off the methadone? Wouldn't it be funny if Dopey was a show by a, a guy on right. methadone? Right. His old you time? and I were doing methadone. Yeah. I, I'm, we're currently on 120 right. milligrams each. Right. We shoot it. Can you shoot it? No, I don't think so. Maybe. I never shot methadone. I just drank it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I didn't know methadone could be used. Methadone could be used for pain for non-heroin addicts. Yeah, but I don't think it's that effective. That's what Anna Nicole Smith, she wasn't an ex-heroin addict. She was taking it for pain. I think she was also addicted to opiates. She was addicted to everything, according to the people around her. What was the process of getting off methadone? I'm not rich by any means. I can barely afford rent and food at the same time, to be honest. So a nice plush recovery center is not in my future by any means. Thanks for reading this long-ass email. I didn't reply to this guy because it was such a long email. I have a problem with that. Well, now I tend to not reply until I read it on the show. Oh. This is very old email. Do you get a lot of emails that you don't reply to? Yes. Oh. Yes. I could never do that. What? I would feel bad. I used to reply to all I of guess them. if I got a thousand, I wouldn't feel bad. Now I just, d I forget. I just, all I do is think selfishly and copy the email and read them on the show mm -hmm. and comment I've on the show. I feel bad that we've laughed at this email. Well, I do too. <laughs> but I don't think <laughs> that, he's going to hear That's it. the funniest part. <laughs> um, I can barely afford rent and food. That's yeah. what makes you really feel bad. Any reply would be greatly I, appreciated. I can barely afford rent and food. Again, stay well and keep up the great work. You are appreciated, as I'm sure people tell you daily. So I'm sure it's still nice to hear. Uh, and that's from Joe Thomas. Thank you, Joe. And I apologize for making fun of the email. I'm just very sleep deprived. I went to bed at midnight right. and I woke up at four in the morning. So I'm. Th I'm know, I've had people ask, dopey people ask me for money. I haven't. They haven't asked you, and you're mo so much richer than me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm <laughs> not looking to give any dopey people money. Um, Ray, do you know how I got off methadone? Did you taper? I've talked about this a thousand times on the show. I don't know how this guy didn't hear it. Yeah, uh, if I was I on. Know a, I was on. A, if you remember, <laughs> yeah, you, if I remember, yeah. everyone should. If if, I, if you remember, it means I've said it a thousand times. Yeah, I was on 150 milligrams of methadone for many many years. I was on methadone for many, many years, probably seven years of my life. Seven years of my life was Does on methadone. methadone get you high? It would get you high. Oh. But it, you get very, you know, you get a tolerance. You I drank that coffee. I'm like passing out. Really? I should be awake. Are I'm you like taking the 512? 513. Um, okay. I, d I remember you talking about Johnny Winter getting, or Edgar, getting tapered by his children. That's uh, a great yeah. story. That's a great story. But in the end, I got blind tapered. Oh. Down to 30, and then so I went to detox. If you respond to this guy, say blind tapered, and then cold turkey. Oh my God. <laughs> You're going to fall asleep on the train. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep on the train. Ray, um, you're the last stop, right? No. Oh. I hope I don't wake up in <laughs> Patchogue oh or Spionk. Or uh, the Hamptons. No, this train only goes to Spionk. Oh, right. I remember Spionk now. Is there anything else you want to say about our Dopey event? Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, this is my weird personality. It's like I did not want to go. I didn't want to go. And then I enjoyed it. I, and do that, I do that all the time. And you ran out. I, well, I did have to leave. But I could have stayed a few extra minutes. All right. <laughs> I could have stayed for 10 more minutes. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Stephen Ray Brown the Third. I'm passing yeah. out. And I was not passing out before I drank the coffee. Is that a weird reaction? We met at Dave's, uh, where we buy all our clothes. <laughs> yeah, let's say goodbye before you fall asleep and uh, like someone else did. <laughs> Who fell asleep? My husband fell asleep in an AA meeting. <laughs> and he exposed his genitalia? No. <laughs> I think he just passed out. <laughs> Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Ray. And fucking toodles for Chris. <laughs> I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood I want to be good So bad, so bad But bad desire's all I've ever had Oh yeah I want to be good So bad Take a ride up in the sky Watch those airplanes just pass me by I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of those people What it means to be alive Wanna be good So bad So bad Bad desire's all I've ever had I wanna be good So bad So bad Yeah, yeah Bad desire's all I've ever had Shadows getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand My shadows getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller And it's high noon busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds cause peace and love are very 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 hard to find
I wanna be good So bad, so bad Bad desires all I've ever had I wanna be good So bad, so All I've ever had It's 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 all I've 